Moto America fans, it's time for another episode of Off Track with Carruthers and Bice. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you may even learn something from this unlikely pair and their special guest. The mic is yours, Paul and Sean. Hello, Moto America fans. This is Paul Carruthers, and this is the weekly Moto America podcast, Off Track with Carruthers and Vice. I'm joined, as always, by Sean Vice, who's out in Ohio. I'm in rainy Southern California. We're not going to talk about the weather, but I'm sick of it. And that's not why I pay high taxes, but whatever. That's my problem, then not yours. Today, we have Hayden Schultz on our show. Now, Sean knows I'm famous for messing up names, and I'm surprised I haven't called him Matthew Schultz or Hayden Gillum or Hayden Schultz or whatever. But anyways, Hayden's a good guy. He's uh, one of our uh, Revit Twins Cup racers, and he's coming off a really good Daytona. And we're going to talk to him about that in a minute. But first of all, I wanted to catch up with my buddy, Sean. How's everything going, Sean? Yeah, it's it's really good out here. Um, you know, it's it's weird because we, of course, have knocked out the Daytona round, but we have not started our Medallia Superbike Series yet. So it's interesting that that will be round one for them at Road Atlanta on, uh, at the end of April here coming up. And, you know, we're, we're at the end of March, so we got a little bit t- time to build up for it. But um, it is interesting that those guys, you know, since they don't they don't get underway at Daytona and we've already got... Of course, the 200 is not counted towards that championship in super sport, but like the fact that you were saying about Hayden, Hayden, Hayden Schultz, that, um, you know, there's already uh, one round under their belts in, in what is it? Twins cup and, uh, hooligan and hooligan and baggers. Yeah. yeah. So they go in with some, uh, already some track time going. So it's weird because it seems like it's been a long time since Daytona already. Doesn't it? And, yeah. And then we have another, you know, almost a month, almost exactly a month until we get to road Atlanta. So it's like, but it's kind of cool. We've talked about this before too. It almost makes it seem like, you, you know, like there's two opening days of, you know, the season because we had Daytona that opens everything or opens partially everything. And then we go to road Atlanta and literally everything is there. So it'll be good to get started again. I'm, I'm excited for superbike racing. Don't get me wrong. I love baggers. I love twins. I love all of our classes, but the superbike series, I think this year is really, it's really looking to be an interesting season. I mean, it's just the fact that there's so many variables and we're not sure how guys coming back at, you know, Tony Elias and, and Cameron Bobier, you know, are they going to be right at the front? Are they, is it going to take them a while? Um, we know Gagne is going to be there. We know those other, you know, we know Skultz and, and Peterson are going to be there. And it's just the other guys, there's just a lot of questions about how it's going to start out. And then I just think Road Atlanta is just going to be, you know, really cool to watch. Yeah, there's a lot to be found out. And then the other thing is, you know, last year, of course, we had our first round at CODA. So that was a track that Danilo Petrucci knew. And of course, he won two, the first two races of the season. And then the first race at Atlanta, he had some momentum going there. But um, I mean, I'm not saying that we have riders this year in our series that don't know Atlanta, but it's it's more of a track like what we, the majority of the tracks that we race at in our series is like. So um, it's kind of kind of cool to get back to racing you're starting off racing superbike at road atlanta again i think yeah and it's it, road atlanta is just always an eye-opener for somebody that hasn't been there you know so whenever yeah. we get somebody from europe you know we go we've eased them in before like at coda 
Uh, yeah. And then and then you bring them to Road Atlanta and they're like, oh, wow, this is this is Moto America Superbike racing. You know, it's like it's just got a, a bit different feel than what they're used to. Road Atlanta is difficult because it's got a lot of ups and downs and blind stuff. And, you know, it's one of those places that really, you know, it helps a lot if you if you know where you're going, because there's there can be some tricky sections there. So. Yeah. You know, what's funny, Paul. So you brought up something and I know we got to get Hayden on here. So Hayden, apologize for a minute. I got to, I got to digress. You know, we hear this a lot of times where the European riders or the riders that are used to racing over there um, say, you know, we have, our tracks are different because our tracks are pretty much all multi-purpose tracks where cars and bikes go on them at the same time. But my feeling is that's what racing is in the U.S. We shouldn't have, I mean, it's a, it's just a different way of racing than maybe racing in Europe. So it doesn't mean that, you know, our tracks are necessarily any worse. I mean, you could say that they have more character. Um, and I know there were definitely some tracks that Daniela Petrucci liked a lot and other riders that have from other countries that have raced here. So I don't know, it, it kind of weird, it's kind of weird sometimes. And it's probably because of MotoGP that, you know, those tracks, I guess, set the standard for what tracks are supposed to be like in the world. But if you, if you counter the, with the argument that you, the United States invented superbike racing, which we did, then superbike racing started on tracks like we have nowadays, um, probably arguably tracks that were a little, had maybe even more character than the ones we have now. And I put character in quotation marks. So sometimes I'm like, geez, I don't think we have to be apologetic about what we have. We have a unique type of racing. And if you come here to race in it, you have to learn how to do it. So, you know, that's that's what it's all about, I think. Yeah, it is eye opening for them, though, because they're just used to such different racetracks. I mean, they're they're used to big, smooth, wide racetracks and they're not you know, they get a little spooked when they see, you know, tire walls and even air fence and and things that are, you know, somewhat or a lot closer than what they're used to seeing them. But I think yeah. it's mostly, I think it's mostly, I want to say it's mostly bumps. I mean, their tracks over there get resurfaced all the time. They're, you know, they complain about bumps over there. They don't know what bumps are until they come to to some of the tracks that we have. But, you know, it's like my dad always said, and Wayne Rainey always says, it's like, if, you know, sometimes there's bumps and, and the best, and what you have to do is avoid them, you know, and everybody's... Yeah. The bumps don't move. They're there for everybody. So uh, it's just it's just different than what they've grown up with. You know, it'd be, it'd be the same with us. If we grew up with those big, smooth racetracks, we'd be a little spooked when we went to someplace that was different. So, you know, speaking of growing up with it, Paul, I mean, you you better than anybody can speak to the fact that the tracks back in Europe back when when kenny raced and your dad worked with him and even when your dad raced and you were going around the tracks and different places with you know kenny and with your dad and everything and mom and the family um there were tracks where they were they, they were literally crossing railroad tracks right 100 well, percent. i mean when my when we when my dad came here to race and we all moved here road atlanta was his favorite track because he said at the time that was the only one that was close to european tracks because they're longer, you know, when he raced, they were mostly on street circuits. So he loved road Atlanta. He thought road Atlanta was cool. And he was kind of pissed when they put the chicane in on the back because he, you know, he liked that fast stuff. I mean, the chicane wasn't there when he raced, obviously, but he didn't like, he doesn't like watching it. He wishes that the chicane wasn't there, which would be pretty nuts at this, at, in this day and age. But yeah, the tracks, it, yeah, it's funny because the tracks over there have evolved 
just a hundred percent. Like I said, they were mostly street circuits and then they evolved into purpose-built racetracks. And now they're these wonderful, you know, perfectly smooth, perfectly wide, you know, purpose-made racetracks. And that's what we have. But, uh, and then, and we have road Atlanta and places like that. And you know what we have, the tracks have character. Our guys that grow up are racing on them are used to them. They like them. And here we go. Yep, exactly. Well, let's bring Hayden in before he's probably asleep, but we'll we'll bring him in, <laughs> wake him up here. Hayden, uh, just like we mentioned earlier, Daytona was the opening round for the Revit Twins Cup Championship. Hayden finished third and fifth in the two races. So, you know, there's a podium and there's an almost podium. And and when you're at Daytona, you know, the difference between first and fifth, sixth, seventh can sometimes be minuscule. So uh, a good weekend and all for him last year at Daytona, he was, uh, he won a race. He, he was, he, he had a non-finish in the first race and he won the second race. And, uh, and that was his only win last year. He went on to have five total podiums and he finished, uh, I think fifth, fifth in the championship, but what really killed him last year was, and I think, you know, we'll talk to him about this here in a second, but he also had five DNFs. And if you just throw, you know, 10 or 11 points out for each of those DNFs, he's a lot further up in the championship. I mean, it's easy to say that, but, uh, and harder to do it, but I I'm sure one of the things that he's looking forward to this year is cleaning up, you know, the DNF portion of his point score. Cause it does make a big difference. Well, Hayden, welcome to the show. My question for you is, and, and I've often wondered this last year, as I mentioned, you had a DNF and a victory this year, you had a third and a fifth. So you come out of it with roughly the same amount of points. Which, which one of those feels better? The DNF's got to be a kick in the nuts, but the win makes you feel like, you know, you're on top of the world. Is that better than two consistent finishes? Well, you know, I think, first of all, thank you all for having me on the podcast. Uh, I'm a frequent listener, so it's great to finally uh, have my own episode. Uh, but yeah, no, to answer your question, um, this year, you you know, I did what I wanted to do, which was come away with a couple consistent uh, points paying finishes and including a podium. So that was great. I actually come away with more points this year, just by a couple than I did last year. Um, but truthfully last year did, did definitely feel better uh, coming away with a win. And my first Moto America win uh, was, was something that you can't, especially at Daytona. It's not something you can really, um, you know, replicate or, or, I don't know. Uh, a third and a fifth just doesn't really compare. And now, although I would have liked to have finished that DNF, um, especially a race where we obviously were competitive since we'd come up the next day and won the race, uh, you know, you, you win at Daytona. It's, it's hard to beat that now. Yeah. This year, I think also the fact that, um, I wasn't maybe in the mix as much as I'd have liked for the win, uh, also has to play a factor now had it been a big, draft in a group and something like that. Maybe it might be a little bit easier to stomach, but to be honest with you, I felt like I kind of got my butt kicked this year. And so that's been pretty motivating going into this break between now and Atlanta. Uh, so last year definitely has to, uh, has to be the better, the better feeling weekend. You come away with more confidence from that than you do. Now I don't want to say confidence because I'm pretty confident about the rest of the year. Uh, I've got a really good team and bike, but uh, you know, when you win a race, it's, it's hard to beat that feeling. Hey, now I got to start out by asking you a question that I've never asked you before. Um, yep. And 
it's, it's something I can't believe I haven't asked you before. So I want to preface this by saying occasionally when we have on our social media, when we show Hayden Gillum and he's not, he's got the 69 bike, you'll get some people that are uninformed and they'll be like, Oh, he, that, you know, blasphemy. He shouldn't have that number. And we're like, hello, the guy's name is Hayden. Plus he's actually a cousin. He's in the family. So, you know, we always have to school some of these people that think it's so, so wrong that anybody would use Nikki's number. But I've never asked you this. I, I is, is your name Hayden because of Nikki, the Haydens and Nikki Hayden? No, no, it's not. And you would think so. You would think that I come from a racing family, especially because my my younger brother's name is Colin, you know, like Colin Edwards or something. Yes, but exactly we were, right. um, you know, my, my family just it's pure coincidence. And we're not related to my dad wasn't a, a racer or anything like that beforehand. Uh, so it's just kind of funny how it works out. that You've got a Hayden and a Colin in my family, but uh, no relation, no, you know, preconceived idea that I was going to happen at all. It's funny because I mean, there are there in your age group, I guess, you know, to your point, there are a, a fair number of people in this world with the first name of Hayden. And a lot of them, I'm sure, are because of Hayden um, or Nikki Hayden or the Hayden family. But I thought, well, it's also a name that's kind of popular. I, I, I've heard it several times. I've even asked people, you know, yeah. when I've heard the name just walking around, like, do you know who Nikki Hayden is? And you know, sometimes they've heard of the name or whatever, but you know, you can tell instantly they're not fans or anything. So it's something I always wondered. And that's your, tr- you're right about your brother, Colin. I never thought of that part about it, but that you got them both going for you. So, um, but uh, so, and, and you're from Arkansas, which, okay. Corey West is there. Corey Burleson is there. Yep. And of course, John Kosinski. Do you know much about John Kosinski and being from Little Rock and all that? Of course, I know of John Kosinski and know all about him and his uh, his racing accolades. But uh, I've never met the guy. Don't know him. Um, but uh, yeah, there are actually a fair amount of uh, a few decent racers from from Arkansas. Uh, I live about an hour away from Corey West. He lives in Eureka Springs, which isn't isn't too far. And uh, and Corey and Isaiah Burleson, they live in, in Harrison, which is about an hour 45 away. So they really don't live too far either. Um, but John down in Little Rock's a little bit further. He's about three hours. So uh, I never really ventured down there too much and uh, don't, you know, haven't haven't encountered him. So you were telling us we were trying to find out where, where you are at now, because um, we knew last year that you were. I guess you were you were in the indie area, weren't you? Because of your relationship with with uh, Gene Burcham and Vance and Hines and all that. Am I right, or is that am I wrong about that? Yeah, no, that's correct. So last year, right before Daytona, I moved up to Brownsburg, Indiana, which is just on the uh, it's in the Indianapolis area. Larry and, Lawrence uh, really, is town. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So moved there, and uh, primarily just for the the reason that yeah, my racing was based out there, and, and Gene and Gary and. Uh, Ron Dink, Glidden, the guys that helped me, they're all based in that area. So the idea was to go down there and, and be closer to that. So I, I moved to Brownsburg and I was actually uh, about two or three miles from, from Vance and Hines race shop. So it was actually on my, on my 
usual running and cycling routes was, was by the race shop. So I go by there all the time. And I actually used to work at the race shop, uh, at a couple of different instances in, in previous years, unrelated to, to this venture up to Indianapolis. So it's kind of cool that, uh, it was, I was up there for a while, but ended up moving back to Arkansas, uh, Northwest Arkansas in, uh, December. So that's where I'm based now. Okay. And well, I'm going to keep going with this a minute, Paul. So, um, you were working with Vance and Hines and well, you still work with him as a rider and a racer and still work with Gene. But for the fact that when you're not racing, you're, you are doing something else now. What, tell us, tell us what you do when you're not training or riding a motorcycle. Yeah. So the majority of my time is actually spent uh, working on a construction site, which is not that glamorous, but it allows me the flexibility and it, it pays the bills. Um, it's tough to find a, you know, a job that is, um, cool with you going racing all the time. So luckily last year in Indiana, I worked in a warehouse, did that, but I moved back home and, uh, I work with my, my brother and my dad doing, doing construction now. And, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I went to college to the university of Arkansas years ago and, and graduated with a degree in recreation and sport management, but I've never used that degree because if you work in recreation, sport management, they're usually doing stuff on the weekends as well. So any job that I'd want to do wouldn't let me go racing. So I just like, I've got this degree that, uh, that I've, I've yet to use. And here I am, you know, digging ditches and, and working on, you know, the footings and foundations of houses, uh, just putting in a blue collar job because that's what lets me go racing. And, um, that's some of the, I guess unseen sacrifices you see with a lot of privateers like myself that have to work. Um, you know, you don't really get to maybe start a, a career that you envisioned as a kid, uh, because you have to do something that gives you the, the freedom and the flexibility to go, you know, take off for, uh, many weekends out of the year to go pursue this stream. Yeah. I mean, that's why I wanted to bring it up because I mean, I, in this day and age, the way things work, there are, much fewer riders that are, you know, paid to race than pay to race. And you, your commitment, uh, you know, doing jobs, whatever, whatever it takes to get you to the racetrack, despite the fact that you have a, a college degree, and I'm not trying to differentiate the two of them at all, because certainly you don't have to call, have to have a college degree to get a great job, but, but you're not using your college degree because of, essentially because of your racing commitments. So, I mean, you make a lot of sacrifices. You riders make a lot of sacrifices that people don't even really realize. Um, but I'm glad that I'm glad that that works out for you and, and you're, you're closer to home now. So that's gotta be nice. Um, are you close by your family? Yeah. So I'm about 10, I'm just across, not even really across town. I'm on the same side. So I really don't live too far. I just, uh, bought a house probably 10 minutes away from, from my parents and where they live. So, uh, I see them every day working. So I, um, you know, it's nice being able to go home a lot. My, my wife's family is here as well here in Fayetteville, Arkansas. So she's able to see her family, um, which, which for her, that's a big thing because she doesn't usually come to the racetrack with me. So when I'm gone, you know, a, a month out of the year racing, it's good for her to be able to go home and see her, her family and have, have people to hang out with. Uh, so that was a, a big factor in us coming home. Um, and it, it works out pretty well cause it was, it's, it's tough being away from home, especially when you're in a new place, you know, yeah. especially for my wife. So it's, it's been working out pretty well. All right. I'm going to bring it up cause you brought it up at Daytona, but you are a bigger boy, so to speak. <laughs> and you're not as, you're, you're not as, uh, you're in better shape now than, than what I remember when you were younger, probably a little baby fat because you were so young, but 
are you do you feel like you're at least through the race that probably hurts you the most with with the fact that you're you know some of these guys you're racing against are are pretty little people yeah daytona was is is definitely a, a challenge and i i knew it was going to be a challenge and it's it's not for for lack of effort um i'm just naturally a, a pretty stocky guy and built like my dad and uh and that provides some challenges so daytona was definitely that's tough. Uh, you get on the banking and, um, last year it was more manageable. I mean, the pace really wasn't as quick, uh, this year, the pace was a lot faster in the infield, which, which wasn't so much, you know, a problem. It's, it's the fact that you get on the banking and if you lose a draft, it's much harder to catch that draft, uh, especially when everybody else takes a step forward with their, their bikes as well. I mean, I've got a really strong bike, so that's not where the shortcoming is, but you know, you're going against, uh, your competitors that way, uh, 130 pounds. So it's, it's tough to, <laughs> tough to, tough to match that. Uh, so that was by far the most challenging weekend that I, I hope that we're going to face. Uh, but it also sort of, uh, you know, lit a fire under me coming home from Daytona because I'm pretty determined to, to try to minimize that problem as much as I can. So, you know, even in the week since I've been home, I've been able to, um, lose a fair amount more weight. And the goal is just to try to lean out as much as I can before, um, before Atlanta, just to make it less of a problem because it's, it's tough. Cause I I've trained pretty hard over this, this off season. And then to see, you still have, you know, a lot of work to put in, you know, like, uh, it, it's, it's a little humbling and not that I was, um, you know, surprised, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's tough being a, a stockier guy. You know, I, I don't lift the weights, but I still carry a lot of muscle. It's harder for me to lose fat. So, um, focusing in on a diet and also just kind of in, increasing some of the workload truthfully and, and working out and, um, also just, just find some other ways to train, um, to, to suit my, my body type and to figure out what works best for me has been pretty important. Um, but it's, it's what we face and it's been something that's been a challenge since I've been in twins cup, especially you're riding a bike that doesn't make as much power as a 600 or a super bike. So that weight makes a lot more, uh, or it, it just is a lot more important. So, yeah, I, um, you know, I've been putting in a lot of work recently. So hopefully when we get to Atlanta, um, that pays off and we're, we're, we suffer less. Um, but it's, <laughs> you know, something that has to be done. Right. Okay. Since we haven't had you on the show before, I think it's important. And, and you mentioned it a, a little bit earlier when we were talking about your name, but you don't come from a, a, a racing family. Your, your father didn't race, et cetera. How did this all begin for you? I mean, how did you stumble upon motorcycles or was there some relative or some friend or, or just tell us a little bit about how, how that, how you got to this point? Yeah. So when I was, uh, my family, uh, nobody in my family raced or, or really had motorcycles beforehand. So when I was four years old, my dad went to the local dealership and he wanted to buy a four wheeler to, to for us because we had a little farm. I wanted to buy a four wheeler for me to ride and you had to be six years old to buy a four wheeler. So they wouldn't sell it to him, but they did say, we've got a PW 50 here with training wheels. We could sell you. And so he went home and uh, somehow convinced my mom that that was, that was acceptable. Uh, that was a good alternative. And then it sort of took off from there. So I started racing motocross for a long time and, um, uh, did that grew up racing motocross. I went to Loretta's on a 50 CC when I was, when I was younger. Um, 
and really what, what got me into the road racing side was, it was asphalt, that same dealer, um, Bill Eddie, who actually came and, uh, watched at Daytona, he owned the local dealership and he got us into, took us to a cart track and we put, uh, street tires on my KTM 65 and I tried supermoto and I fell in love with it immediately. And also found out that I was a little bit better at that than I was at, at motocross. So, um, winning is more fun. So that's what I started to pursue. And, uh, at the time we actually owned a motocross track in Stillwater, Oklahoma, that, that guy Cooper had built called Cooperland. Uh, so pretty good sized motocross track. And, uh, then I, yeah, took off and started pursuing the road racing thing. I actually took a f- couple years off, um, when I was 10, because I wanted to live like a normal kid. I think I got burnt out because I was racing motocross so much that, uh, I didn't realize what I, what I had. And so eventually got into the road racing thing. And, uh, when I was 12, and then it's kind of just um, gone since there. So, yeah, Hayden, I mean, do you feel I and a, a lot? This is just natural when you talk about riders where they started. Mm-hmm. You usually start on a PW50 or something off road because you can't ride on the street or you can't right. go to track day or whatever. So it's a natural progression. But at this point, and you said supermoto, at this point in your is road, road racing is your thing now, right? Yeah, definitely. Road racing is, is definitely, um, you know, the, the primary focus. I still do ride some motocross for training. I've got a KX250 sitting in the garage. Uh, I'd love to do some supermoto right now, but frankly, I just, I just, uh, don't have a, have a bike to do that right now. So, so road racing is it. That's where, where all the effort uh, goes to. Yeah. So tell us, I, I want to know a little bit about this, this new, this R7, relatively new R7. Yeah. So they had this FC07 that became an MT07 and it was kind of a standard or a naked bike, I guess, or a standard style bike. And then they created this R7, which has still got a lot of FZ07, MT07 components in it, but it's obviously a pretty strong weapon now. And it did, it did well last year, did well at Daytona. Um, what what is it about the bike and let's compare it to let's just say to the aprilia because that seems to be there's you know the the prominent other brand or manufacturer in twins cup but it seems to be that there's several things that the r7 does maybe better or equally as well um it's certainly a good a good bike so tell us about it a little bit yeah, the R7 is awesome. Uh, so I, I did race the uh, MT07 before yes. the R7 came out in 2020. So I've had a chance to compare that. And I did race uh, half a season on an R660, although it was a, a stock engine. So it, it doesn't compare completely to what uh, what I'm racing against now, but I can kind of give ideas of of where the two bikes differ. So uh, first of all, between the MT07 and the R7, the main difference you'll see is just, just how it sits. The R7 feels like a completely different motorcycle, even though it shares, you know, almost everything on it, you know, is, is the same. Uh, but because that MT-07 has, you know, a fairing kit, it wasn't meant to be a sport bike that was raced. Uh, it, it definitely feels like that. So the R7's much narrower and quite a bit shorter. Um, maybe that's just because it's narrower, but like for me, I've got, I'm not that tall. So sitting on an MT-07, that was like, the tallest bike I'd ever ridden, even though it was only an MT-07. Uh, but the R7 is is quite a bit more comfortable. Um, 
And so besides that, almost all the parts are, are the same. There's not that much that differs. Actually, a lot of the parts that I still have on my R7 are what I had on my MT-07, including the suspension. The suspension I have on my R7 is exactly what we had on our, our MT and we just swapped it over and, you know, it works great. Uh, now, compared to the Aprilia, there's definitely some differences. And this year, things have changed a little bit. It seems like they made a pretty good step with the Aprilia from what I can tell at Daytona. But it's hard to get a really clear judgment on how it is based off Daytona because it's not like the rest of the racetracks. So I think in Atlanta, we'll have a better idea. But it seems like the Aprilia does get off the corners better this year and uh, maybe is, uh, you know, made some improvement in the top end. Uh, I know they did get uh, rods this year. Now, that's, you know, I think there's, they, they also were able to spend a bit more time on that bike and Matt, the guys and, and the guys at Robo engineering are, are really smart and do a, do a great job building those machines. So, you know, you give them a winner to tinker with things. Uh, they're definitely going to make improvements. And I think that was shown at Daytona, uh, with, uh, the bikes that, uh, they, they brought, uh, the, the bikes are definitely different. So when I rode the Aprilia again, stock, stock engine, so it's, it's different than what they're riding now, but the range of RPMs that you could use was maybe less than what I feel like the R7 uh, has. So to me, the R7 was maybe a little bit easier to ride. Uh, the Aprilia, you had to ride a little bit higher in the RPMs, more like a, a 600 or a two stroke, maybe to make sure you stayed in uh, the power band of that bike. Um, and then it definitely was different because it doesn't have a linkage on the rear. So setting up that bike, uh, was, was quite a bit different. And that was one of the things I think I might've had a hard time wrapping my head around was the feeling of, you know, trying to figure out what the bike was doing because it, you know, you don't have a linkage on the rear. So, uh, it goes directly to the, to the, um, engine. So, uh, that was, a challenge for me as well. And that was one of the things that I really struggled on the 660 and ended up going back to the R7 and immediately going back to the R7, I felt, felt back at home. So not to say it's not a great bike. I just feel like, uh, I got along with the R7 as well. And also being a bigger guy, the R7 does tend to have, it has more torque. So it helps to have that torque to get out of the corners. You know, it's funny. I was going to kind of make this analogy that in, in my experience, it's always seemed like Yamahas have all have never been the fastest bikes out there, but they've always been among the best handling, the best cornering bikes. Um, is that the case with this R7 or is it kind of the opposite? You know, it, it's, it's hard to tell because it varies on racetracks. I feel like it depends on, on where you go. Like we saw last year, how, um, you know, especially at the end of the year, how quick, Caleb DeCarroll was on the Aprilia R 660 at Barber and, uh, how it seemed like the R sevens maybe struggled a little bit more. Um, I, I, you know, it's hard to say because all the R sevens maybe have a little bit different setup. Uh, you have people using different linkages, different geometry, different offsets on the front end, because there's so much that you can change on these bikes that it's hard to tell what maybe is like the bike and what is the setup. Uh, and again, these R seven chassis aren't the, the most stout thing out there that I've ridden. So right. it definitely flexes a lot and, um, and it provides some challenges sometimes as well. So you have to figure out what the best way to ride this thing is. And I think some guys that have jumped into the class and ridden the R seven have kind of maybe, you know, been surprised at you know, the way you have to ride this thing, it's not like riding, uh, your usual 600 or a thousand. Um, so and to answer your question, I, you know, I'm not really sure it's hard to, hard to tell because I haven't ridden, uh, the Aprilia back to back 
recently enough to know, you know, what the answer is, but I don't want to make any excuses because I feel like we've got a pretty good setup and, um, you know, our, our, our bike's been in a good spot. So it's just a matter of, of feeling confident and feeling comfortable. Well, one of the things that's interesting is that you said, you know, it's not the frame is basically, well, the frame is not the same as on the R7. And it's because it looks like, so there's like a couple of plates on around the swing arm pivot. Is that right? It's something that added some stiffness to the frame. Is that, is that correct about the R7? Yeah, correct. So that's one of the primary differences between the MT-07 and the R7 is the side plates that, that just bolt onto the frame and are supposed to help with uh, stiffening it up. Uh, now I've, I've raced the R7 with the plates and without the plates over the course of the last couple of years. Um, to be honest, I haven't done it back to back enough to tell you if, if I can give you a noticeable difference. Um, so uh, supposedly it does make it, make it stiffer. Whether it's a big difference. Um, I can't really tell you, you know, it's, it's yeah. tough. Yeah. I wondered. I, that's why I wanted to ask you because I know when the bike came out, they made kind of a big thing about that right. piece. And I'm like, well, really does it, is it a difference maker? So <laughs> that's yeah. interesting. No, it'd be nice to test them back to back. Um, one of the, the struggles I think our small program has is, is not really getting much testing time. You know, we're running on a, a tight, small budget. So there's a lot of things like that, that I would like to test so I can answer questions like these for myself. And then also to, to others that, that ask it, because we do get a lot of inquiries from people building our sevens and MTO sevens looking for, for feedback or ideas on what the best thing to do is. And it's just something that, um, eventually I hope we get to, but, uh, we run on such a, you know, a, a small program type budget that, uh, testing some of these things just hasn't been a possibility yet. Yeah. But Hey man, you, you must have some interesting conversations with your, your mentor, Gene Burcham, because you're, you have a very cerebral approach to that bike in that class. And it feels like you almost have to have that for a, a, a class that kind of was derived from twins, bike club racing, SV six fifties and stuff. There's so much tuning and, and things being able to be done and adjustability with those bikes. You have to be kind of on top of your game, not only as, as a crew chief, but as a rider too. And I can tell that you've got that. I mean, you, you obviously can speak about rebound damping and riding height and preload and everything else right it sounds like you really understand the dynamics of a motorcycle uh you know i, I try to i don't know if, if, gene, if gene would agree with that you know dealing with me on a on a weekend week out basis uh but uh i am really fortunate to have guys like gene um gary um dink those guys are so smart and they know what they're doing uh so i i trust a lot in them and and luckily i've been able to absorb quite a bit from them now i will be the first to tell you that i really don't know that much i i couldn't go out and and set up my bike with without them um but i do try to to me if if i can reason through things or at least get a you know gene can explain you know we've been working together for a while so you usually can explain to me what things are doing um to to make sense of of how to set the bike up which direction we want to go and uh you know, get us to the right point. And I'll say last year, having James Rispoli also ride one of our other bikes helped me a lot as well, because James has ridden so many different bikes and he's got so much experience. Sometimes trying to verbalize what I was feeling, uh, 
was, was tough. And then I'd talk to James and talk through it and he'd experienced some of the same things I could. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's it. That's, that's exactly what I'm feeling. I just had a hard time putting into words. So that, uh, having, having James ride our bike half for part of the season last year helped having guys like Gene that, that have a lot of experience in a lot of different disciplines from road racing, flat track, motocross, all that stuff. Uh, it really helps us out. Um, and, and has allowed us to be, you know, we were able to be pretty consistently at the front last year. And I give a lot of credit to them for, for knowing, you know, where to steer the ship. All right. You seem like a, a person who would analyze your results from the year previous in order to try to make improvements for the following year. And I'm, I'm right. pretty sure you've probably done that with your 2022 season. As I mentioned earlier, you had five DNFs. I didn't look back to see whether those were crashes, whether they were bike failures, whether they were a combination of both. They probably are a combination of both. You would obviously know that. What what was the issues last year with with five DNFs? You know, that's that's challenging because it well, it's not challenging actually. I, I spent all winter looking over it. Uh, the, but but cleaning up the issues is uh, is something that I've been trying to focus on for this year, because without those things, you know, we, we came away with, uh, with six podiums last year and which was actually tied with the, with, for the most with anybody in that class. But the problem was all those DNFs. And that's what really kept us from fighting out, fighting it out for the championship until the end there. Um, part of it was, you know, we had a couple small mechanical things, but the majority of it was, was rider error. We just had weird things. And, and a lot of it is with this, our seven, um, we keep pushing it further and further, like faster and faster every year. The, the twins cup has gotten so fast. It's crazy. So, um, you know, you're always trying to push and make improvements and sometimes you just get caught out, um, trying to fit last year, the class was really stacked. So trying to figure out the right blend of being, being aggressive and conservative, knowing when to sit back in the race was, was tough. And people, you know, I had so many people telling me, Oh, you need to be more aggressive and no, you need to wait, you know, you need to be less aggressive and all this. So, uh, you know, it's hard to know. It's, it's much easier to say that after the fact than to know exactly what to do in the race. So, you know, at Laguna, we had a big high side, um, at New Jersey, we had a weird crash that I, I had never lost the front on the Yamaha ever until a crash in the race at New Jersey. So it was kind of weird things that, I hadn't experienced that much. I mean, we high sided a bike with less than a hundred horsepower, which is, you know, you're, you're pushing so hard that you have these things happen that haven't happened before. And then you also have some things that were just rider error. Like I ended up, uh, taking a penalty at Pittsburgh because I blew the chicane, which was a five second penalty, which we actually crossed the line first for. So we, we could have won that race had I not made that mistake. And, you know, uh, but those are the things that run through your head after you, come to terms with that, you know, you, you lose the championship and that's just things that you have to clean up. And that's one of the things that Daytona, that that's why I was so focused on just coming away with good points because I didn't have the chance to test over the off season. So I knew that, um, could you, could you push more in the infield and maybe try harder to stay with those guys? Sure. But do you want to make those mistakes and come away with zero points? for one of those races, definitely not. So you have to play the long game, not to say that you want to be conservative throughout the entire season. Cause the season just started, but you do have to, you know, you, you can't win the, the championship in the first race, but you can definitely lose it and make it hard on yourself. So, um, to come away with more points than we did last year, I can't really complain too much because it's a long season. We're going to tracks that we've done well at in the past. So you have to, you have to give yourself a chance. Right. 
Now, I'm not sure the answer to this, but how involved are you in the day-to-day running of that team? And 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 if so, what what's the most difficult part of it? Is it is it is it hunting down sponsors? Is it calling sponsors? Is it getting sponsors to pay? I mean, what 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 does it all involve for a guy like you that has to you know work during the week and like you said, dig ditches just to go racing? How much of the other stuff takes away from the actual riding the motorcycle? Uh, yeah, that uh, a lot of that stuff is is pretty challenging. Um, I'm pretty fortunate to have a uh, an awesome team that takes care of all you know, working on the bikes and doing all that stuff. And actually last year I did, you know, being close there, I was, I was over at Gene's house where all our, our, you know, bikes are, everything's based, um, um, you know, probably four or five days throughout the week. So I was there quite a bit. Now I wasn't rebuilding my motors. I mean, Gene uh, does most of that, but I was still there to, you know, give a hand, do, do whatever I needed to. Uh, so now coming back home, I'm not involved in the day-to-day working on the bikes as much. Um, but I still do a lot of the, you know, administrative work. So, I mean, as y'all know, when I've communicated before, if it's press releases or, uh, signing up, like entering, making sure all the, that stuff sorted out, that's, that's what I still do. Um, so grateful to have a lot of help, but we still are a small team. So I don't have, you know, people that can do that for me. And it does take quite a bit of effort on the sponsorship side. That stuff is, is down to me as well, which finding sponsor, you know, finding sponsorship help is, is tough, especially in this day and age. I'm trying to find, um, you know, funding for your program is extremely tough. Uh, I've got some good sponsors behind me, um, but it's by no means, you know, funded solely through that. So a lot of it does come down to, to working week in, week out. And, you know, I know between myself and Gene and, and Gary, we've put a lot of our own money into this program to make it go. And it's not because we're <laughs> expecting to see a return on it. Uh, it's just because we love racing and that's um, what we do. Yeah. You know, Hayden, I want to point something out to you and it's coming from, well, I mean, I've had a career in advertising, PR writing, and Paul's been journalism and writing and PR as well. Um, You do a good job with your presentation skills and when you're in our press conferences, the videos you've created on this podcast, you know, you're a very articulate young man and it's, it's impressive to see that. And that's obviously a huge asset to anybody's career, but certainly since we're talking about road racing, it's, it's a good asset for you to have as you move forward in your career. And it's certainly helping you on this team as it is now. So um, that's big credit to you. So the education that you've gotten and what you've been able to learn in the school of life, I think has really, really served you well so far. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, I try to, you know, be articulate, be presentable, um, be a good represent rep- representation for my sponsors. And, uh, it's definitely something that does come with some work. Uh, I'd obviously like to be able to do more of that sort of thing with the PR. I used to do more with, you know, with my brother, as far as creating content and videos, but like anything, it it takes, you know, money and time. And that's, uh, something that in a small program, we don't have an abundance of. So, um, I like to do more, but, uh, I'm grateful to have, um, you know, the, the support I do that allows me to do the, the things we have done. So I want to I want to bring up a few things that are a little bit off off topic here with you just because of of the fact that I think feel like I can talk to you about a lot of different things. So you mentioned your brother Colin. I mean, we get to see him. He's he's awesome with the what he's doing in video production and now he's he's working a lot with what ESPN 
uh, Latin America, right? Is that, is that? Yeah, Desportes or something. Yeah. Um, so that's a cool opportunity for him. And it's always great to see him in the, in the paddock. And I always laugh because <laughs> you, you write about it's Hayden and Colin, but you guys don't really look all that much alike to me at all. Do you, do, do people, yeah. do, you, do people realize that? You no, know, actually I, a lot of people, now that a lot of people know Colin, um, he used to be just my little, little brother that ran around the racetrack talking to everybody and, and having fun. But now, uh, well, you know, he used to come to the track and film for me. And, and the whole goal with that was eventually that somebody that could actually pay him would, would pick him up to do video for them. And that's what happened. Luckily he works with Roberto and Robertino Pietri a lot doing that, which is, which is awesome. And it's cool that he has his own thing. Um, so we don't look alike, you know, he's, he's a little taller, um, and, and skinnier. So he, doesn't you know if you if you didn't know we were brothers you wouldn't know so there's a lot of people that that know us individually from each other and didn't know we were brothers until i we talked to talk to him about it last year and there's probably still people that don't know that we're brothers because if you looked at us side by side you wouldn't wouldn't know that immediately uh so it's funny now i am um colin used to be known as you know more hayden's brother but now i'm i'm also colin's brother to a lot of people so it's, it's funny how that, that narrative, you know, changes as he, you know, has his own group of people that he hangs out with or knows at the track that might not know me. <laughs> so here, here's something I want to bring up along the line. So we know Colin, we know Hayden. I don't know if you've got if just three in your family, but I do know you have a sister. Is, is that, yeah. is she the other member of the family? Yeah. My sister's, she's, she's the real athlete of the family. I'll break on her for a second because she is a, she's a diver, like a springboard diver. And, uh, she is, man, if I was as good as her, uh, if I was as good at road racing as she was at diving, I would, I would not have to work construction. I'd be set. Um, but she's, uh, she's incredible. And she actually just wrapped up her career. So, uh, proud, proud of her for all she's accomplished, but she, um, you know, she's got to go to world championships for team USA before. So she's traveled the world, gone to China, Japan, uh, Russia, Hungary, all these places diving. Um, and she won an NCAA championship as a freshman, actually just got third uh, last weekend at NCAA championships and, uh, won eight sec titles. So she's like, she's the real deal. And, uh, it's been really cool to see, see her have her own athletic career and, and, and accomplish way more in diving than I have in racing so far. Uh, so yeah, she's got her own life, her own, you know, athletic, you know, deal going on and, uh, she's just finishing that up. So it'll be interesting to see where she takes that, you know, now that she's, she's done diving. Well, and, and such a difference from you. I, t I have a feeling your sister doesn't ride a motorcycle and I don't know, are you no. a good diver? Can you, are you a good swimmer? What? You know, I, I actually tried diving. We, we started diving at the same time. I think I was, I don't know, I was in sixth grade maybe. And, but she had grown up being a gymnast her whole life. So she was a lot uh, more adept at the flipping and spinning and doing all that stuff. It came a little bit more naturally to her. And I was this chubby little kid that was trying to dive, making big splashes and belly flopping. And I decided like uh, landing on your back and smacking on the water in a cold pool hurt more than crashing a motorcycle. So I decided to go back and, and ride motorcycles because I was better at that. And, and, it felt uh, a little more natural. You know, the interesting thing though, Hayden, about that with your sister, and I've, I think your posts on Facebook or whatever, I've seen some photos of her and yeah. she has a, you have a real strong upper body, pretty, you know, kind of triangulated. So does she, 
she's like got some muscle there, right? Yeah, no, she's, she's really strong. Uh, she's, you know, she, she, I remember, you know, while, you know, a while ago, especially growing up being a gymnast, you, you develop a lot of muscles, but she's really muscular as well. So I've told her like, now that she's done diving, she needs to get into a sport like, like CrossFit or weightlifting or something. Cause I think she'd be really good at it because she's so naturally strong and has that, you know, already, you know, there. So I think she would be really good if she decided to pursue some other, uh, form of like fitness like that. I agree with you. So another thing I want to talk to you about, um, that's a little off topic is, and you know, sometimes I feel like my life is flashing before my eyes. So I don't know if I'm off on the, the, uh, chron- chronology of this, but mm-hmm. I think, I know that you got married and I think, it, I don't think you've gotten to your first anniversary yet. Have you? No, not yet. Uh, May 8th is the, our first anniversary. So I got married uh, in between Atlanta and BIR last year. Okay. And uh, so it's coming up. Yeah, I, I couldn't, you know, sometimes things happen. I'm like, oh my God, that was two years ago, not last year. So it was last year. So it was, you yep. quite, yeah, you haven't quite made it through your first year yet. So how's it going, Hayden? How's married life for you? Oh no, it's it's great. You know, we we just bought our first house a little over a month, month, month and a half ago. Uh, we've got two cats, which are pretty entertaining. Uh, and yeah, and she's still putting up with me, so I really can't complain. Uh, everything's been going pretty smooth. So shout out to Logan for being a trooper. Yeah, she's awesome. Um, great name too. What does she do, Hayden? She's a nurse, so oh, yeah. she's my she's my sugar mama right now that helps pay the bills while I go racing. I was going to say, you didn't yeah. get to buy a house because you're a road racer. <laughs> no, definitely not. No, I, I will say that uh, I I myself could not afford to uh, buy a house right now. It's all gone to racing. <laughs> That's okay. We're glad you do it. Well, listen, we, we kind of covered a lot of topics. I kind of run out of time, but we got to get you on again and not... Uh, and sooner than than later, because yeah. you're a terrific guest to have on, and we're gonna, we're going to pay much attention as we always do to your your uh, career and your racing, starting again up again at Road Atlanta in a few weeks, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you there. So, um, Paul, do you have anything you want to throw in there for Hayden? Schultz? No, I just I just wanted to thank you for for joining us as always, and and as as uh, Sean actually just said, you're you're a wonderful guest. You're well spoken. You're thoughtful and. I have uh, I have little worry that even beyond road racing, you'll be able to uh, use your college degree and, and get the job of your choice. So you got no worries. And uh, awesome. you, you seem like you're pretty employable to me. So I appreciate <laughs> it. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me on. It's been great. Hey, one, one, one quick thing, Hayden. So yep. so Paul's team is San Diego State University, the Aztecs are still in it. Mm-hmm. Arkansas is still in it, too. So they do you, are. You, are you into it? <laughs> Oh, big. Yeah. Huge Arkansas fan. When I was a little kid, I would cry when Arkansas lost. So, uh, it's funny cause they just beat Kansas last round and my, my mother-in-law and my wife, uh, my mother-in-law went to Kansas and my wife grew up a big Kansas fan. So watching the game with them, I couldn't maybe let out as much as I would have liked to, to see them win. So to see that they're still in it, especially when they didn't have that great of a regular season's awesome. So I'm counting down, um, the hours until, you know, tip off tonight for the sweet 16. If I cried with every San Diego loss, I'd be drained in a puddle. Uh, being an Arkansas fan has been a tumultuous relationship, just, yeah. just growing. It's been challenging. So I'm, I'm just hoping for a little more success. Yeah. Well, good luck. 
Yeah, good luck. <laughs> good luck to y'all. Good luck. Yeah. good luck to both you guys. I got nothing with my team, so they're gone. They didn't get in it. But anyway, all right. Well, thanks, Hayden. Uh, great to have you on. And I just want to let everybody know. So our, our uh, next round and our first round of Medallia Superbike will be coming up at the end of uh, April. And certainly get uh, Moto America Live Plus squared away for this year if you haven't already done it and didn't have it for Daytona. Um, and we, I want to shout out again to the the corner workers too. I mean, we are always looking for volunteers for that. Uh, Road Atlanta is a great track to be a corner worker at. Um, there's a need for it at every one of our rounds. So if you get on our website and uh, look it up um, or go to basically go to the Facebook page for Moto America volunteers. And that's, that's your inroad to get involved in, in uh, being a corner worker with us. So anyway, um, thanks again. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks. All right, you guys take care.